The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. But I'd like you to open your Bibles tonight, if you would please, to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. Most definitely, the ordinances that the Lord has given us in the church are a part of our worship, and perhaps we might even say the, the most important part or sacred part of our worship. Uh, my text is from the book of Mark tonight, chapter 14, and these texts that we have on the Lord's Supper are all very familiar to you, but that, that doesn't mean that these these words aren't fresh to us because every time that we open up the Word of God, we're going to find something that's valuable for us no matter how many times that we've read it. So it's always a privilege to open God's Word. So if you look at Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse number 22, we have Mark's record of the, of the Lord's Supper. And I'll remind you of this, that Mark was not there. If you didn't know it, Mark is not an apostle. He wasn't present at the Lord's Supper but he does have the account here for us that was given to us by one of the others, perhaps it, Peter, many people think. But in Mark chapter 14, verse 22, it says, And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and brake it and gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Now, in our study of church doctrine, and that's what this overall series has been about since the beginning of the summer, worship is just one part of our entire series on church doctrine. And we've already covered the Lord's Supper. We did that back in July, preached an entire message at that, uh, on, the, on the supper at that particular time. But I want to come back to this again tonight. We're going to look at it from a little bit different perspective, and that is from the standpoint of worship. Now, the Lord's Supper is peculiar to the church in this way because this is the only ordinance that we plan for a particular time, a set times during the year. Of course, the Lord has only given us two ordinances. Those are the Lord's Supper and baptism. But baptism is not something that we schedule on a regular basis. Uh, we, we baptize as needed. When people come and they receive the Lord uh, in salvation, then we take them to the waters of baptism. We baptize them. But we do that on an as-needed basis. And we're not like the Mormons. Uh, we don't baptize people 24-7, uh, baptize people for the dead and all of that. So we're not involved in all those kinds of things. But we do practice on a regular basis the Lord's Supper, and it is a very important part of our worship. In our lesson on worship two weeks ago, one of the things that I told you then is that worship must be according to truth. Uh, God is absolute truth. He is the source of truth. And so anything that has anything to do with God that is approved by God, acceptable to God, must be according to truth. Now, since the Lord's Supper is such an important part of worship, then what we want to do without question is to enter into this in a spirit of, of truth, knowing what the Lord would have us to do, and do it strictly in accordance with God's Word. 
And this is why, if you were here for our last study, and maybe some of you weren't, but if you were here for that last study in July when we talked about the Lord's Supper, I I spent a great deal of time talking to you about who is qualified to take the supper in the church. Now, according to uh, the doctrine of the New Testament, all the participants in the Lord's Supper were regenerated, baptized members of the local church. Christians should observe the supper in the church where they are a member. Now, there is a necessity for oversight. There is a necessity for discipline when it comes to the Lord's Supper. And the reason that we do it, one of the reasons at least, that we do it in the way that we do, is that we do not have any jurisdiction. We don't have any say. We have no ability to do anything with anybody that is not a member of our particular church. And we we feel like, looking at 1 Corinthians, that it's very clear there that the Apostle Paul intended that the church should have a disciplinary aspect in the Lord's Supper. So I tried to make it clear at that time that a restricted communion has nothing at all to do with whether we believe that we are superior to other Christians, because we don't. Uh, We don't think that we're more spiritual than other Christians. That's not the reason that we do what we do. But we practice communion in the way that we do because this is a judgment that is predicated upon the principles that we find in God's Word. Now, that's very important to us in relation to the last message that we had about worship because we learned there that God is very particular in the way that He wants to be worshipped. Now, we saw how particular that He was back in the Old Testament when uh, the children of Israel made the golden calf when they were at the foot of Mount Sinai. God was very particular about the way that he wanted to be worshipped. We saw that he was very particular when Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, offered strange fire when they weren't supposed to do that. And we saw how particular that God was when Uzzah reached out and touched the Ark of the Covenant. God was very particular about that. And in fact, what God did was he struck people dead in all of those cases because they didn't worship him in the right way. Now, I'm not going to tell you that God's protection of true worship is, uh, well, let me state it another way. I I will say that God's protection of worship is much stricter than our participation, restricted participation in the Lord's Supper because I'm not going to kill anybody tonight that doesn't take the supper in the right way. I promise you I won't do that. But I would remind you that 1 Corinthians says, uh, uh, Apostle Paul, when he talked about this, he said that God had killed some people in Corinth because of their misuse of the Lord's Supper, taking it in the wrong way. So I'm not threatening you with death tonight. I'm just telling you that in order for us to observe the precious body and the blood of Christ by eating this piece of unleavened bread and drinking a cup of grape juice, if we're going to observe the body and the blood of the Lord, then we had better do it the way that God says. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, I believe it might have been, I think maybe it was the Irvines that uh, told me about a church in Petaluma that just when they had the Lord's Supper, they just put the stuff out on a table and they invite anybody that wants to come in, no matter where they're from, they just come in and they partake of the Lord's Supper. There is, it's a raucous occasion. There is no reverence for what takes place. And um, they call that worshiping God in the communion. Well, I don't find that kind of thing in the Bible. In fact, I would call that strange fire. And I would be very much concerned about it, if not for the fact that Probably a lot of people who practice such things are not Christians anyway. 
But that's enough of that, and maybe that's a rather strange introduction to the message that I want to give you tonight. But I want to call your attention to three brief thoughts about worshiping God in truth in the supper. Now, the first thing that we do when we worship here is that we worship Christ as the bread of life. Now, let me make this clear to you again that our chief purpose is the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And if we want to define worship, that's what it is. It's lifting up, praising God, adoring God, uh, exalting Jesus Christ for who he is and what he's done. Now, when Jesus sat down with his disciples and they began to eat, he took bread and he blessed it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, But those are some of the most controversial words that Jesus ever spoke. They are very controversial. They're controversial, they were, uh, to the Jews. I don't think they were so much to the disciples. They are controversial today among many that are professing Christians. Uh, Again, I don't think that these words were very difficult at all for the disciples to understand when Jesus handed them this bread, that he was speaking to them metaphorically, and he was using the bread in a symbolic manner. And when he said, you're going to eat of my body, he did not mean that literally they would take of his flesh and they would eat his flesh. But that's actually the misunderstanding of millions of people around the world uh, in the Roman Catholic Church Roman Catholics say that when the priest consecrates the bread, that he actually turns the bread into the flesh of Jesus Christ. And I've heard stories from the past about people that believe this so strongly that they would actually get sick in the participation of the Mass, the Roman Catholics, they would get sick in the participation of the Mass and they would regurgitate the bread after they ate it because they couldn't stand that mental picture of actually eating the flesh of a human being. Now, I suppose that they're not all that convinced about it now because I, I haven't heard reports of, uh, that it's a mess down at the Catholic Church from cleaning up all the vomit after they take the mess, or Mass. rather. Uh, but instead, they do this. They, they eat it ritually. They eat it by rote. They eat it without thinking. And even the priest surely don't believe that strongly enough, even though they say they do. I don't see how they can believe it strongly enough that they wouldn't find it just totally repulsive to eat what they call the host. But on the other hand, when once they have consecrated the bread and they've turned it into the flesh of Christ, they say that it is a mortal sin to desecrate the, the elements of the supper once that's been done. Now, I would tell you that that is one of the worst perversions of the worship of God. That's utterly devastating to true worship of Jesus Christ. Uh, One word I think that we could say for it is satanic, because the Bible tells us that when we pervert worship, uh, pervert the worship of the true God, we only have one other option that's available to us. If it's not of God, then it has to be of Satan. Now, this is what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, He said, ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. So he doesn't give us two options. It's either the Lord's table or it's the devil's table. And so if it's not done according to what Scripture says, then we know that it must come from the devil. He has to be the one. It must be a satanic perversion of the things of God. Now, I think that it's doubly blasphemous to pervert the words of Jesus Christ. I mean, to turn something that he said in the Bible into something that it is not. 
to pervert the words of Christ. Now, I'd like you to turn, if you would, to John chapter 6. And here we'll see that the Jews were very, very confused about what Jesus meant when he talked about eating his flesh. Now, this particular scripture doesn't have anything at all to do with the Lord's Supper, but Jesus did give these people something to think about when he talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. So in John chapter 6, we'll look at verse number 48 and some verses that follow here. And in this passage, Jesus is speaking on the subject of everlasting life, and he's explaining how that kind of life can be obtained. In verse number 47, let's start there, verse 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews, therefore, strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, folks, that's hard sayings right there. They were very confused about it. Verse 56, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. And I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Now, again, just a very, very hard saying for these people. But it's obvious that Jesus is not speaking here of literally eating his body and drinking his blood. If you'll go down to verse number 63, there he says, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. And then he says, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Now, what Jesus is talking about here is spiritual matters. He's talking about faith in him. Now, earlier, when he spoke about the manna that came down from heaven, there he's speaking of nourishment, that God gave Israel nourishment, that he gave them bread to sustain their physical life. And he used that as a symbol, as a demonstration of the true bread that came down from heaven. That's him. He's the one who gives spiritual life everlasting life. That comes through Jesus Christ. And so when we come to the supper and we partake of the bread, we do that with the understanding that the body of Christ was given for us in order that we might sustain spiritual life in Christ. That he died, that he gave his body. His body was broken for us. As Isaiah says, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now, to worship Christ in the supper because he is the bread of life is to worship him in remembrance of how that he gave his body for us, that he went all the way to the cross, that he gave up his life that we might have life. 
And this is what we praise God for. We worship Him for this. We worship Him for who He is and what He has done in that willingness to give up His body for us. So the disciples were, were under no delusion that Jesus was offering him, them His real flesh to eat. They understood this. But the bread was a symbol of His body, of spiritual nourishment in taking Him by faith. Now secondly, we worship Christ as the blood of life. In our text verse number 23, it says, And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Now, blood has a very, it's a very important thing in Scripture. You go back into the Old Testament, and you find that, that blood had a very, very special place in worship. In Leviticus chapter 17, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Now, one thing you'll notice about that is that the Scriptures tell us long before it was a a known scientific fact, the blood contains life. Now, in the next verse, God says, Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, No soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that sojourneth among you eat blood. Now, that is a long-time established prohibition of people eating blood, and that's because of its highly symbolic nature, that they were to revere blood, they couldn't eat it because it was desecration, because it was irreverence to this holy symbol that at one time would represent the life of Jesus Christ. Now, the Apostle Peter told us that blood is the price of our redemption. And God held on to that symbol of what the blood is, that there's life in the blood, and he held on to it for a very long time. Now, I think it's interesting that the prohibition against eating blood seems to stick even into the New Testament after the crucifixion of Christ. And I want to show you something tonight, and I'll let you just listen to what I have to say, and then uh, you can perhaps draw your own conclusions from the evidence that we have. But if you'll turn over to the book of Acts, chapter 15, we'll find here what many scholars believe to be a prohibition, still a prohibition against eating blood. Now, we find it in the instructions that the apostles gave to Gentile converts. Uh, We know that circumcision was done away with. Now, if you've read the 15th chapter of Acts, you would be aware that uh, this is a discussion about how they were going to bring Gentiles into the uh, fellowship of the church. And it had a lot to do with uh, the ceremonial laws and circumcision and all of that, whether the Gentiles should be required to go through all of these, these laws that the Uh, being circumcised and so so forth. And so they were having a discussion about this. And at this time, circumcision has been done away with. The the sacrifices uh, have all been done away with. And that's because Christ died. He's already made the sacrifice. And that was the once-for-all true sacrifice that reconciles us to God. But we look at a, a most interesting comment here about blood. And we notice in, in, at verse number 19 that the apostles had been discussing the inclusion of Gentiles into the new covenant with Christ. And James, who is the 
um, what we might call the senior pastor of the church at Jerusalem, heard all of these arguments back and forth about circumcision and fellowship with the Gentiles and what should be required of them. And he says in verse number 19, Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. Now, what the, the disciples are about to set forth here is the manner in which Gentiles are to be fellowshipped with, whether there's to be any difference between them and Jews since the sacrifice of Christ has taken place. Now, we go down to verses 28 and 29, and it says here, For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication, from which if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. Now, that, those verses are a part of a letter that was sent to Gentile Christians, and in this letter there are three restrictions. First of all, it says, do not eat meat that's been offered to idols. And the reason for that is because of the Jewish presence. It was a matter of fellowship among them, lest there would be some Jews that would be offended by it. So he says, it's better if you don't do this. Then he says, do not eat blood and don't eat animals that are strangled. That's the second part of the command. The third part is that they're to abstain from fornication. Now, the question here is why should they not eat animals that are strangled? Well, that's because an animal was supposed to be drained of its blood. Strangling doesn't drain an animal of its blood. So the blood is still in the animal, and the command is that they are not to eat blood. Well, why would a prohibition against eating blood still hold true into the New Testament period, past the time that Jesus died on the cross? Now, that's a difficult question for us. But to get the answer to that, we have to go to a different part of the Bible, way back at the very beginning. So let's go back to Genesis now, if you would, to chapter 9. And we're going to look at the commands that God gave Noah when he came off of the ark. This is in Genesis chapter 9, beginning in verse number 1. And maybe this will help us to understand a little bit better why that the prohibition is still in place. Genesis chapter 9, verse number 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand they are, are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. Now, verse number four. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. Now, why is this particular place in Scripture so important? Well, it's important to us because it predates the giving of the law to Moses, that there was a prohibition against eating blood put into place long before uh, the book of Leviticus, long before the giving of the Mosaic law. Now, there are many things that were in the ceremonial law that were done away with when Christ died. Uh, most of those things were implemented at the time that the law was given. But this one sticks out to us because this is before Moses. And so it stands as a general command to the entire human race. And there are some who believe that this command from abstaining from blood given in the book of Genesis didn't pass away when Christ fulfilled all those ceremonial parts of the Mosaic law. 
And so this would be in the same category as things such as tithing, that there was tithing before God gave the law. We know that looking at the New Old Testament. Long before the law was given, they knew that they were supposed to give a tithe. And then the tithe was incorporated into the law. But then when we get in the New Testament, that's not a law that's been done away with. We find it still in the New Testament that we are to give the tithe. Another thing that we find before the law came into being was the day of rest. God created the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested. And that day of rest was incorporated into the law, and the day of rest survives the law because we still have that today. We're meeting in church. I mean, we, we set aside a day that's given to God, so we still have a, a day, a principle of a day that's given towards rest. Now, what, what God did then is to put very high significance on blood. Blood is, is still revered because life is in the blood. We revere the blood of Christ because the blood of Christ is such a valuable commodity that it's able to wash away the sins of everyone who puts their faith in Christ. Now, it's the blood of the new covenant. It's a covenant ratified between God the Son and God the Father. That covenant is established by blood ratified by Jesus Christ's own blood. Now, I'm just going to kind of leave you with that to, to think about that for a little while and see how you ought to think about blood. And, and I suppose that this is one of the reasons that there is a, a lot of blood that's involved in, in Satan worship. Uh, Satan worship is, was designed to desecrate sacred symbols of Christianity. And so they use a lot of blood in Satan worship. And one of the things they actually did was it's kind of a backlash against the Roman Catholic idea of transubstantiation, that they don't have any problem at all desecrating blood and if the Roman Catholics are right about this, then it would, it would be possible in one sense then for, for Satan worshipers to be guilty of literally pouring out the blood of Christ. If they could really change it into his blood, then you could pour it out if you wanted to do that. Well, then, for you twilighters among us, uh, this is why there aren't any Christian vampires. You can't, ha can't drink blood. That's why we don't like mosquitoes, because you can't drink blood. And for those of you that eat bloody rare steaks, you need to be more like me and Jorge. You want that thing dead, done. And because uh, we don't want to be Satan worshipers, that's for sure. Well, it brings another point to mind. I mentioned transubstantiation, which is a Roman Catholic doctrine. Not only is the blood consecrated, or bread rather, consecrated and becomes the body of Christ, but they also believe that blood, the blood in, in, the, in their mass, is changed into the literal blood of Christ. So they also drink blood. Now, changing bread to flesh and changing blood into, uh, or wine, I should say, into, into uh, blood, what they think they're doing, that is transubstantiation. And I, I don't know, but if you looked at this the way we've been talking about tonight, that might even be a direct violation of Genesis chapter 9 and also Leviticus chapter 17. But definitely we can say this, that it is a case where Christ is not worshipped, but rather Christ is blasphemed. Now, the Roman Catholic mass is horrendous, as Richard Bennett, the former Roman Catholic priest, would say. It is horrendous. In all the religions of the world, including those that have human sacrifice, there is nothing as evil and blasphemous as the Roman Catholic Mass. 
that's down on the very bottom, the very almost the very worst that you can get. To, to say that they were able to, to take the flesh of Jesus Christ and the, and the blood of Jesus Christ, reconstitute it, and then sacrifice it all over again. That's about as bad as you can get in the eyes of God. But every week there are millions of, of people that crucify Christ again in the Mass. They think that they're worshiping God, but there's no truth in that. They put the blood of Christ to an open shame, and that is Satan's deception. Souls are condemned to hell while at the same time that they think that they're actually worshiping God. Now, what we want to do, we certainly do want to maintain high regard for the blood of Christ. His blood is the blood of life. But when we come to the supper, we realize that what we have here is a symbol. It's only a symbol. It's a symbol that represents the precious blood of Jesus Christ that he shed for us on the cross of Calvary. Now, let me finish then with a third thought about worshiping Christ in the supper. Thirdly, worship Christ for the blessing of life. Now, this is very important, so let's don't miss this. There is no blessing in these symbols. There is no blessing in a little piece of bread that Julie made from flour, uh, unleavened flour, and a little bit of water, mixing that together. And uh, for those of you that are uninitiated, unleavened flour is not flour that's not self-rising. And you didn't use self-rising flour, did you? Okay, very good. So we got unleavened bread here. But there's nothing in that. There's nothing magical in that. Nothing's going to happen to that bread when we start to partake of it tonight. And then there's nothing in the little cups there but grape juice. Lino went to Rayleigh's or, or Safeway, wherever he got that. And, and it's just grape juice. There, there's no blessing in it. I can't do anything with it. I can't change it into anything. And I don't know, Lino and Mrs. Silva might have tried to do something with it on the other side of the curtain. I don't know. But I can't do anything with it when we get here. I mean, th- this is just a symbol. It's just a material thing. So we don't change anything here. Now, what is the blessing then that we have? Well, the blessing that comes out of this is really the blessing of Christ himself that it's the person of Christ. These are elements that are used to cause us to focus on the person. We remember him in the supper. He said, this do in remembrance of me. Now, I remember a few years ago that there were some members that were just totally shocked and appalled because there were some children that came up after we took the supper and they took some of the bread out of the plate and they took some of the cups that hadn't been used and they drank that and they ate the bread and that was just shocking to some people. Well, you know, we might not ought to do that because of the respect that we have for this. We might not want to do that. But the truth of the matter is those things are just material substances. They're not going to make you better and they're not going to make you worse by taking of those. Now, the important thing to remember, though, is who they represent. They are about Christ, and it's from Christ that all blessings flow. And so we think about Christ being the blessing of life. He is the blesser, but what else are we to remember? We're also to remember the blessed, and that's us, that we have been given life by Christ. So we come to the supper, and we remember what Christ did for us, that he's blessed us with his salvation. That's the reason that we worship him. Now, when, when you came to Christ, when you knew, come to know him as Savior, he taught you how to worship him. Now, before that, I don't care who you are or where you are, you have no knowledge of what it means to worship God. 
You cannot worship God unless you know Jesus Christ as Savior. It's an impossibility. And so he's given us the ability now that we've trusted him as Savior. He saved us and given us the ability to worship God in spirit and in truth. And this supper here tonight represents the life that he gives us. Well, one last thought for your listening sheet. Uh, there is a difference in people that have right religion and wrong religion. And it's interesting that one of the ways that it shows up is right here in this most sacred of ordinances. Now, here, here's, the, here's the statement for your listening sheet. Worship can be magical or it can be moral. Worship is magical when you think about what it can do for you. Magic is taking these elements like some things that they can do and turn them into sacraments, or if you prefer, we could say grace performers. That there is some, some, some magic that's in that, there's some hocus-pocus here, that this has the power to do something for you. And so abracadabra, you're, you're good, or shazam, you've been made holy all of a sudden. That's magical, and that's satanic. There is nothing magical about what we do in this supper. But on the other hand, worship can be moral. And moral religion and moral worship is what it does through you. That it's the Holy Spirit producing something in you that that bursts out for the glory of God. There's nothing material here. It's all spiritual. It's not God give me something, but God rather make something out of me. Make me what you want me to be. Let us surrender ourselves to you as we do this. So we're not looking for what it can do for us in in, in any other kind of sense than this, is that we want to be the true worshipers of Christ. And when we are true worshipers, that's when we're acceptable. That's when we're pleasing to Him. So we're asking God to make us a true worshiper, cause us to come and worship in spirit and in truth. And so we worship Him as the bread of life, and we worship Him as the blood of life, and we worship Him as the blessing of life. And when we keep these things in their right perspective, then we know that when we come to the supper, we're worshiping in the way that God wants us to worship. Now remember, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and we've got four more weeks of worship to talk about this subject, is that we cannot worship the way that we think is right. It's not what we think is right. It's what God says is right. Anything else is not true worship. Whatever he says is the way that we do it. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www dot bbaptist dot org